I want you to pay serious attention to the next 30 seconds. If your life expectancy were measured by a clock, which I've taken off today, your life would look like the following. If you're 25 years old, it is right now 8 o'clock in the morning. And there's a lot of time ahead of you. If you are 38 years old, it is now lunchtime. And you have exactly 1,976 weeks left, God willing, in your life. If you are 47 years old today, it is now 3.20 in the afternoon. If you are 57 years old, it is now 6 o'clock. And you have 1,092 weeks left on your life. And I will stop right there. If you are a Kiwi, you will live an average of 27,740 days. And the point of this last 30 seconds is this. Whatever you're going to do with your life, you better get on with it now. Because time is running out. Life is exceedingly short compared to eternity. Where you will spend trillions of years. And that pales into insignificance compared to the 90 or 100 years you may get if you're lucky on this earth. It's not that long. So you better do something about that. On the other hand, if you don't do anything with your life, it doesn't matter how much time you've got anyway. It doesn't matter. So what matters is not the duration of your life, but the donation of your life. What matters is not how long you live, but how you live. Your time is your life. And every hour that you say yes to the TV, you are saying no to something else, which I would like to argue is far more important. Kimberly's just outlined the peace plan. That's what God's about in this earth. My question kind of subtly, as I'm known for being very subtle, is what part of your life are you investing in God's plan? Not your plans, not how many properties you've got, how many rentals, how many investments you've got, how well you looked after in your retirement. I'm not even talking about that. By the way, the Bible says wealth is so uncertain, so why put your hope in it? Eternity is certain. It is the only, uns- uh, the only certain thing you have. So this week, I'm going to look at the God-honoring use of this precious gift that you've been given called time, which is your life. You see, time is far more important than money because you can always get more money. But the Bible says the day you were born and the day you are going to leave this terra firma is set in concrete. You cannot get any more time. Your time is your life. All of us get the same amount of time. You get the same amount as Bill Gates. So do I. We all get 168 hours a week. The difference between effective people and ineffective people, the people who make their lives count for something, and those who don't, is how they manage that time, which relates to my message last week on the stewardship of the gifts that God gives you. You see, God put you on this planet actually for his purposes. 
But most people don't make time for God in their daily schedules. They're so busy with their agenda. In fact, some people feel swamped. Anybody heard that? I just feel swamped. Yeah? Swamped, trying to clear the clutter out of their email or their desk. They don't have time for God to use them. And I would suggest this is something that we all need to work on. I could have entitled this message, How to Make Time for Ministry. How to Stop Yourself Getting Distracted. Now, if you want to be used by God, how many of you want to be used by God whilst you're on this earth? Let me see your hands. Okay, 98% of you do. You must learn how to manage the gift of time that God's given you. In fact, look right here, straight there on the first verse in your scripture, Psalm 90 verse 12. And he says this, teach, teach us to make the most of our time so that we may grow in wisdom. That's a prayer. The psalmist is saying, God, teach me to number my days. The King James says, I think, NASB says this, that I may present to thee a heart of wisdom, that I haven't frittered my time away. Circle teach. Notice that time management must be taught. Why? Because it's very, very easy to waste and fritter our lives on things that ultimately won't matter a hill of beans in eternity. Nothing. So five principles at the beginning of 2015 to help you get your life on track at the beginning. The Bible teaches that if I'm going to manage my time, I must first assume responsibility for my time. You may want to write that in. I, nobody else can be, is responsible for your time. You are. What does that mean? It means that you stop complaining about how much you've got to do. <laughs> you stop complaining about that you're being overworked. Because it's not like you're being so busy. Because last time I checked, there was nobody holding a gun to your head. No. Nobody's holding the gun. To your head to say, you must do this. You are choosing to be this busy. So, oh, that's taking responsibility. So, we stop complaining and we start choosing and we assume responsibility for our time. You know, you could do something else with your life if you wanted to. Nobody is forcing you to do what you're doing. You are choosing those things. Now, you can't change your circumstances until you start changing your choices. The Bible says this in Galatians 6, very clear on this issue. We are each responsible for our own conduct. That means you assume responsibility for your life and for your time. God gave you the freedom to choose. And we won't make much progress in life until we get this first point. The truth is, here's, a, here's the honest to God truth. I and you are as close to God as I want to be. Can't blame anybody else. It's me. I'm as close to God as I want to be. I am as spiritually mature as I want to be. I'm as happy as I want to be. I'm as disciplined as I want to be. I'm as 
busy as I want to be. It is my choice. It is your choice. So today, you may want to suggest to yourself, I'm going to stop complaining. I'm going to change. I'm going to stop complaining about how much work I've got to do and and why I can't get it all done. And instead, I'm going to accept responsibility for how I use this gift of God's time that he's given to me, which I'll only have for a short, brief period. Then, B, I will believe that God will help me declutter if I trust him. The Bible says this in Philippians 4.13, which is an oft very misquoted verse. So be careful. It says this, There is nothing I cannot master with the help of Christ who gives me the strength. Who gives me the strength? Christ gives me the strength. Now, that includes life management or time management. Do you really believe that? I want you to circle the key words in this verse to help us orient this verse with the help of Christ. I am absolutely not, and it is Paul talking about positive thinking, self-reliance, a sort of self-assured cockiness. Well, I can do anything. That's arrogance. No, no, no. That is not what that verse is saying. Paul, if you go back and look at that verse, always look at it in context. You're going to learn about that next week when Roland's going to share some things and Jerry's going to share some things. Paul had complete confidence in Christ that he would give him strength to continue God's work of spreading the gospel and run the race well and not be distracted. In other words, to finish well. Don't just grab that verse and say, I can do anything I want and Christ can help me. That's not what he's saying there. You know, this verse is often misconstrued to say, well, you can do anything you want if you put your mind to it. Not true. That verse is not saying that. That's eisegesis. That's reading into that verse what you want to see. The Bible does not say that. That verse was given to fulfill God's will. And to fulfill God's will in your life, you need supernatural help. So that you don't get swamped and overwhelmed by the cares and the anxieties of this world, which so easily beset us. You need supernatural help for God to help you guide your life and to manage your schedule. And quite frankly, to say these two letters, N-O, to many things that come into your life, no. You should practice that. No. I'm serious. No. No. Because otherwise the plate just gets fuller and fuller. That's really good of English, isn't it? What I mean by this is we need to stop saying, I can't get it all done, and realize, which is coming to the next point here, this next point, clarify what's most important. We need to clarify what is most important. So we assume responsibility for my time. The Bible says, believe God will help me if I trust him. To get about his business, not to just bless my plans. And then C, clarify what's most important. What I mean by this again is to realize that it, it, from the get-go, it, all things aren't worth doing. For some things that are just not worth your time. The good news is God doesn't expect you to do it all. So what I'm saying again is clarify what's important. You've got to know in life what matters most. And what doesn't matter? For example, last week I suggested a very practical application is quit writing. Those of you who are pedantic about writing to-do lists, change that, and by the side of it, have a don't-do list. 
you'll be surprised how much more time you have. Have any of you done that? The Bible encourages practical application. Thanks, Lee. Practical application of the Word of God. So, you've got to know in life what counts. What will absolutely count when you step off into eternity? What will really matter? That gets my attention focused. What, here's another way of looking at this. What's going to last and what's not? Because many of the things we spend on our time worrying about and fretting about won't have any impact a year from now, much less 10 or 50 years from all for eternity. So if you want to please God, you've got to know what God values the most. And what he values is planting churches and promoting reconciliation. He, pr- he values educating, um, um, equipping the... Let's try again. Planting churches, educating the next generation, assisting the poor, caring for the sick, and equipping servant leaders. Five things. And there's a whole... We haven't had a chance to touch on that today, but Kimberly will go into that much deeper later on. He cares about people being reconciled to him. So if you want to please God, you've got to know what God values. You have to clarify what's important and what's not. Proverbs 17 gets to the heart of this. Verse 24, it says this, an intelligent person. Who wants to be an intelligent person? Absolutely me. Well, what does it say he behaves like? It says he aims at wise actions, but a fool starts off in many directions. Circle aims. I belong to a shooting, a pistol club, and we have uh, targets 50 meters down the thing. Now, it will be completely stupid to go ready, fire, aim. But that's how many businesses do. They just get out and do something. That's how many people do with their lives. Well, I'll just do something. It's like going out your drive, just start to drive. Well, where are you going? Where are you? You set a direction and a destination before you take off out of your driveway. It says aims. It says if you're going to be intelligent there, you have to have aims, and the implication is goals. An intelligent person has goals. What are your God-given goals? Now, just to say, not your financial goals just yet. We'll get to that later on, in fact, very soon. But an intelligent person has targets, has goals. They know how they want to use their life, and they aim at it. Whereas a fool just muddles around in a thousand different directions and is constantly burning energy and getting nowhere. Now on that great note, on that note, I want to build again on the greatest gift that God has given to you and I, and that's the gift of salvation, Jesus Christ. And he came and he died on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven. You need to accept that gift. That's his first gift. The second greatest gift he gave you was the gift to have free choice, freedom to choose. It's an incredible gift. And Job says it here. Listen to this. We can choose the sounds we want to listen to on Spotify or Pandora. And we can choose the taste we want to eat. Mmm, thank God for food. That's all good. And we should choose, look at these choosers, to follow what is right. But look at this. But first of all, we must define what is good. Have you defined what is good? God has. Does your good line up with God's definition of God? Most people have never done this. They go through their entire lives and they never take the time to define what matters most and clarify it. I'm doing that again. At the beginning of the year, I tend to type my things out because I lose pieces of paper. And clarify and write out their values and saying, God willing, this is what I sense you want me to do with the life I have here. 
So we must clarify what matters most important to God. For example, if God thinks this is really important, but we're over here thinking this is really important, we're missing the mark. That's called sin. What we need to do is we need to get back over here. Look at what God says is really important and what he's doing in the world and join him doing what he thinks is important because what he thinks is the only thing that matters. Do we hear an amen? Yeah. So we must clarify what matters the most. Why? Because you can't do what's good until you decide what is good. You can't do what's important until you decide what's important. You've got to invest some time thinking about what is important. That today is your takeaway for some of you here today from God. You've been running around like the proverbial blue. And you're wondering why you're running out of energy, why you're demotivated, why you feel like you're just overwhelmed. The word of the Lord is stop. Spend some solitude. No radio. Nothing. And listen and say, God, I really do want to know more about how I can help in your plan. If you haven't defined what's good, you'll be indecisive. Shall I do that? Should I do that? Oh, I don't know. I should do that. And you'll have all these conversations arguing in your head. Now, the easiest way to lower your stress and simplify your life is define what's good. Anything that comes along, opportunity, that doesn't add to that, you say, no, it's not going to help that. It doesn't attach to this. No. Simple. Does it? Yes. I'm this. We'll do that. Makes life very simple once you've defined what is good. Is this opportunity helping me or sidetracking me from God's purposes for my life? Do I do it or don't? The Bible says it this way. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. The problem is most people haven't made up their mind what they want out of next week, much less next month, next year, or the rest of their lives. And tomorrow morning, people are going to get up and go into a new week without any plan, just an autopilot, without any goal or any purpose. And they're just going to drift. Same place, same thing, same meetings. Question. Have you ever really clarified what do I want to accomplish with my life? How do I want to be different at the end of this month, the end of this year? And in just a minute, I'm going to help you get started on this. But let me just finish the last two points quickly. Assume responsibility for my time. A. B. Believe God will help me if I trust Him. So I set goal, faith goals in this belief and faith and clarify what's most important. And D. Don't wait to begin. This is the antidote to procrastination. You know, one day when I get around to it, remember that? The most important word you can learn in time management, again, is what? Who said it? Somebody said, no. No? I'm making another one now. <laughs> we'll come to that in a minute. Every time you say, you say the word no, you save yourself a whole lot of time. When it's worthy, 
You do it now. If it's not worthy, no. Now, no. Now, no. No, 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 no. So the people that often complain, I've never got enough money. I have never come across a person in all my experience who's had an income issue. They've had a spending issue. In New Zealand, I'm talking about. Let me clarify that. In New Zealand. If you just practice those two words, no, and do it now, you'll be light years ahead of the pack. And a good steward of the gift of God's time that God has entrusted you, you will be. That sounds like Yoda speak. Life, friends, is lived under imperfect conditions. There's always something going wrong in your life and mine. Because this is the world that Jesus said, look, on this earth, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. So don't ever expect anything just to be right. Just to have enough time, just to have, to have enough money, just to have enough circumstances, just the kids at just the right stage. Life is lived in imperfect conditions, the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 11.4. If you wait for perfect conditions, you will never do anything. If the only time you enjoy your spouse is when things are perfect, you're never going to enjoy her or him. Same for the kids. If the only time you pray is when you feel like it, let me tell you, the devil's going to make sure you never feel like it. You have to move ahead in spite of imperfect conditions, and that's what all leaders do, by the way. They don't wait for everything to be tickety-boo. You do it now, and you stop waiting for that perfect day. E, you need to enlist a spiritual partner. Why? Because it's harder to get control of your calendar by yourself. We need accountability in our lives. We need encouragers. You need a small group, but you also need a spiritual partner. Somebody you see on a regular basis. Say, how are you doing with your calendar, your schedule, your time? How can I pray for you? The Bible says this in Ecclesiastes 4. It is better to have a partner than to go it alone. So why do we take this time to look at these five steps? Here's why. Because God wants you to use you in this world, in his plan. You were not put on this planet just to do what you and I want to do. God put you here and he created you to be part of his plan. And the number one reason that people aren't being used by God is they are too busy with other things. And this today, what we're talking about is a key skill. It can be learned to get control of your time. The Bible is full of stories of people that God used in extraordinary ways when they gave God their time, not just their talents. You see, you can have all the talents in the world, but if you don't give them your time, it won't work. And in the middle, we're going to set four goals, help you set four goals for the next 90 days as we move into autumn. But before you do that, you've got to settle this one issue. Do you really want? Do you really want God to use you in this life? You need to have that attitude. God, use. it's a dangerous prayer to pray. I'm telling you, it is a very dangerous prayer to pray. God, use me. That's the attitude, though, before we can start talking about actions. Otherwise, we just play with words. And Jesus never played with words. He got after Pharisees for playing with words. 
95% of Kiwis never set goals. Only 5% do. Now, a challenge for you. If you do these next, take these next four goals and you actually um, work on these, you'll be in the top 5%. I highly encourage you to do this. Now, let me set the scene. One of the five purposes in this life that God wants you to fulfill is, first of all, God wants you to become like his son, Jesus Christ. There's no question about that all the way through the scriptures. You were created to become like Christ. So at the beginning of the year, we are going to reset our thinking, recalibrate our thinking on Jesus, the model of our lives. And the Bible picks it up in Luke 2, 52. Jesus grew. There's forward momentum here. In wisdom, stature, in favor with God, and favor with the people. There are four key areas the Bible comments that Jesus grew in. And this verse shows Jesus growing in different God-honoring ways. He grew in wisdom. That means he grew intellectually. He developed his mind. He developed it. Then it says he grew in stature. That's physical growth. He developed his body. He made it the best it could possibly be. He kept it healthy. Then it says he grew with favor with God. That's spiritual growth. And that is what I am intensely keen that we focus on this year. Then he says he grew in favor with other people. That's relational or social growth. Now, if you want to be like Jesus... Then, at the beginning of 2015, could I suggest to you it will be good to grow in the same areas that he specifically grew in? Intellectually, physically, spiritually, and relationally. We're going to set one goal in each of these four areas for the next maybe 90 days. Not for the rest of your life, but just maybe for the next 90 days, next quarter. So let's get started. Number one, set a goal for intellectual growth in the next 90 days. The Bible says it this way, do yourself a favor. I was just talking to some young guys the other day. I quoted this exact scripture. Do yourself a favor and learn all you can and you'll prosper. Christianity is, has always prized education. That's why when, when Christian missionaries go into a country, you'll see them educating schools, universities. You'll see them in healthcare. But right now we're talking about this area, which is learners. All leaders are learners. The moment you stop learning, you stop growing spiritually. Are you learning spiritually? Are there some questions that have been buzzing around your head like a fly, and you've never got the answer to those things? How about vocationally? What are you doing vocationally to grow and to improve there? relationally and intellectually are any of you making time for reading reading is a very efficient way of learning and if you don't like to read there's always mp3s these days coming back to spiritually Colossians 1 10 says this grow in your knowledge of God that's a direct command grow in it do you know more about God now than you did say 90 days ago is your knowledge growing not static. And again, a beautiful verse in 2 Peter 1.5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. First of all, it says goodness, and then to goodness, knowledge. 
And then, and by the way, it says knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, to brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness, love. But the point is, add to your faith knowledge of God. And again, Proverbs 19, 27 says this, if you stop learning, you will forget what you already know. I was just laughing at one of my sons the other day. He said, Dad, I only sat this exam 60 days ago, and I can't remember half of it. And he's at university. And he's a bright boy. But the point is, we need to keep our brain sharp. God gave it to us as a good steward. Keep your mind sharp for the kingdom's sake. So what is it that you would like to learn more about God? Maybe there's something that's been an enigma. Have you riffled it down? Have you taken responsibility to get after that question and sort it out? Clearly in your mind so you can explain it to your spouse. Well, maybe in your career. Maybe you need to grow in your career. Maybe you need to take some, talk to somebody who's a, an expert about something in your business that you've come up against a roadblock. And what about your ministry? Are you growing in your ministry? If you serve, look, most of us try to do career development in the secular world, but what about ministry development? Are you learning things that will help you be more effective on God's plan? Are you getting some training? Are you doing some reading? Are you attending some classes? Because if we're serious about this, we'll get after those. And we will take responsibility to get after those things. So, write something down. Because if you don't write it down, if you don't decide what's important, you won't do what's important. Thoughts untangle themselves when they pass through the pen. So, how do you want to be different in 2015? At the end of it, do you want it to be different than last year? Write it down. Maybe you want to learn how to study the Bible more. Well, if you do, write it down. There's going to be a great summary coming up next week on how to study the Bible for all it's worth. Maybe you need to take class two or on, whatever. So a basic class here. The second area... The life of Jesus teaches that you can set goals in this year is you can set 2015 goals for physical growth. Ugh, groan. Yeah, I know. But look, look at what the Bible says about this. First Corinthians six. Don't you know? And like, hello. That's a modern vernacular. Hello. Don't you know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? That's your body and the Holy Spirit. You don't belong to yourself anymore. So you, for God brought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. That's a very clear word. Honor. Honor me because this is where I live. It's his house. Now, some people have medium houses. Some have big houses. Some have little houses. <laughs> Some have two-story houses, some three, some one. I'm a one-story house. But it's his house. It's where he lives. So he says to you this, honor me by looking after it. I gave it to you. Now, have you noticed this pattern in people's lives? I have. The first part of people's lives, generally speaking, they spend their life spending a health, to get our wealth. 
They're seeing it at work every hour God sins. And then in the second part of their life, they spend their wealth to get their health back. Now, that we wasted in the first part of life. So set a goal to be healthier. You know why? Because to get on with this, if you look up here, you will need energy. Very practical. You will need energy. Being a disciple is a disciplined one. So, set a goal now. Don't wait to do this. And ask the question, how could I improve my health in 2015? Not just so I can eat more, but so that I can have energy and mental space to get on with God's plan. P-E-A-C-E. The third area that Jesus grew is he says he grew in favor with man. That means he grew socially or relationally. So we want to help you see the relational goal. Not just to love, but for autumn. The Bible says this. Philippians 1. My prayer for you is that your love will grow more and more. God wants your love to grow more and more. And that you'll have knowledge and understanding with your love. So God says, I want you to grow in love. Love God with all of your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, you don't just get love and that's it for the rest of your life. God wants you to keep growing in love. And you can't do that by yourself. So, apart from the word of God, the other big catalyst that God uses to change us is other people. All sorts of other people. Some that you wouldn't even necessarily like God uses to sandpapers. So I'd encourage one way of growing in relationship is to get into a small group so that you learn to meet other people who are different from you. And you need to learn to love them. It's so easy to love people like ourselves. But God says, I want you to learn to get along with other people. So God puts you in a group of people where you learn to love. Here's a practical suggestion for relational growth. The Bible says here, get into the habit of inviting guests home for dinner. Whoa. All right. Now, what I'd like you to do is cross out the word guests and write leader, children's worker, or anybody's name that rhymes with Shmi and Muckley. That's quite all right. I got the intent of the verse. <laughs> now, mate, write one area down. Maybe you need to, in this area, maybe you need to this year start a small group. Maybe you need to get recommitted to others in that group or to restore a relationship which you know God's been tapping you on the shoulder about. Or to offer forgiveness and to ask for forgiveness. Maybe if you're a parent today, it might be as simple for you as re-establishing a family time together weekly. Put something specific down here. Who do you want to grow closer to? Maybe it's your wife. Maybe you've been sensing, you've been passing like ships in the night because you're so busy. Maybe it's her or him. Maybe you want to strengthen that marriage relationship. So it's God honoring. What is there one thing you can do to do that? Because if you don't think about it, write it, and then put it, for me, in my calendar, it ain't going to happen. If it gets in my calendar, it's going to happen. Maybe for some of you, maybe writing down the name of a friend and start to pray about them and share your faith with that person. 
That's a worthy, God-honoring goal attached to his goals. And then number four, what about setting our goal for spiritual growth? Incredibly important. Second Peter 3.18 says this. It says, grow in spiritual strength. Become better acquainted with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So at the beginning of 2015, the question is, how can I deepen my trust and my relationship with God? Maybe for you, it's as simple as committing and having a more intentional daily quiet time. Or, for example, reading a book of the Bible. I read one book of the Bible this morning in four minutes. And you can do the same too. Which one do you want to choose? Jude? How about Philemon? It's one page. Not even a page. Yeah, you read your book of the Bible today. Boom. But choose one. Maybe your goal is to take one of our Nick classes. Or for some of you, maybe your goal is to be baptized. But why not make a decision today? Because this is one of these things. Do it now. It attaches to these things that are important. Decisions are important here. So if you're going to do this, if you are accepting the challenge of setting a goal for your life in these four areas, you will be in the top 5% of New Zealanders. Because 95% won't even try. Why do we do this? Ephesians 5. Look at this. Live purposefully and worthily. What does worthily mean? It means worthy of the fact that God created you. You're not to waste your life and you're to appreciate what he did for you. How do we live our life? Not as unwise, but as wise people making the very most of your time. Don't be vague and thoughtless. In other words, no thoughts gone into it. Don't just sit around without any goals. Don't be aimless. Don't be purposeless and foolish. But understand and firmly grasp. In other words, get a grip. What the will of the Lord is. Over here. Get a grip on it. Why do we do this? Because it's God's will. We were made for more than just walking through life, consuming resources, tossing them out in the inorganic rubbish, and off we go again. We're made for a purpose. We were made for meaning. We were made to accomplish something with our lives. We were made to become like Jesus. The most important thing that you do beginning 2015, is knowing Jesus. Would you pray with me as we close? Would you pray in your heart, dear God? I am going to stop complaining about my schedule and all I've got to do and how tired I am. But instead, with your Holy Spirit's help, I am going to assume responsibility for my time and my life. I'm going to stop making excuses and accusing others, and I'm going to start to make some choices today. God, I believe that you will help me as I trust you, because, Lord, you know I really want to get about your purposes and using my life for good. Help me to set some faith goals and to strengthen my faith. Lord, 
Would you distill in my thinking what is most important to you? Help me to aim at wise actions and to set good goals. And not to start off in a, a lot of different directions. Help me to define what is good. I don't want to wait to begin. Today, I'm starting now. I'm not going to wait for perfect conditions. Help me, Father, to get a spiritual partner that will encourage me and help me manage my schedule and my calendar. They can talk with them about my life honestly. Jesus, I want to become like you. I want to grow like you did. I want to grow intellectually. Sharpen my mind, Lord, as I work at it. I want to grow physically, relationally, and spiritually. Today, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus Christ, will you say, Jesus Christ, I open up my life to you today. And for the first time, I ask you to come into my life and to be the manager and the director, the CEO of my life, the chairman of the board from this day forth and forevermore. In your powerful name we pray. Amen.